0: Well, good morning. Merry Christmas. Are you well? Looks like we have a bunch of people away visiting family. How many people do we have in from out of town visiting? Well, hello. Welcome. So nice to have you. So good. My name is AJ. I'm on the pastoral team here. And uh, Jeff and Becky are on Christmas break. Uh, So they will be back with you next week. But it is my pleasure to speak this morning, so I'm really excited about that. Um, I have known that I was speaking today for a couple of months. And when I get that much warning, because uh, it doesn't always happen like that, uh, I like to ponder. I'm a, a high contemplator. I like to ponder things for ages. And so I've been pondering for months and thinking I was going to speak on joy. And I thought that right until last week. Uh, As I was standing in worship, uh, and, you know, Alan was speaking last week, and I was just standing there worshiping, obviously. Um, The Lord asked me a question that I often ask when I speak on a particular message, and he said to me, why did Jesus come? Because that's what we're celebrating, isn't it? That he came. It changed everything. So he said to me, why did Jesus come? And I know the answer. To restore us to the Father. He came to make a way home. I just realized my right arm is shaking because I held a baby through most of worship, and that's not my reality anymore. <laughs> my, my arm is like <laughs> um I'll do this hand. Does it look like it's shaking? It's shaking um, He came to restore us to the Father, and I thought, okay all right i uh I realized i don't I don't know what it was like for you and whether you grew up in church or didn't. I didn't grow up in church. I grew up kind of straight heathen. Uh, <laughs> uh, my, my dad was an atheist. My mom um, was Anglican. But because my dad was a, an atheist, we didn't have to go to church, you know. So we could just sleep until mom left. And then I could skip the whole church thing. Um, my my uh, grandparents were believers as well. And, but at Christmas, I was sort of what, what we used to call a CNE and e Christian, a Christmas and Easter Christian. Right, and I figured since I'm I'm Canadian uh, and I yeah I grew up in Canada and because I'm I'm not uh, I'm not Muslim and I'm not Hindu I'm therefore Christian. That was how I figured the whole thing. So I'm good, right? I d- I didn't I really didn't get it. In case you haven't gathered that from everything I've said so far, uh, so I would go to. Um, church on Christmas with my grandparents. And um, the kind of church that they went to was the kind where um, it had like little things that you kneeled on that had like pads on it. Well, if you were lucky, they had a pad on. And uh, and there were certain spots where you kneeled and certain spots where you stood and then certain spots where you had to know the thing that you said after the person at the front said the certain thing, right? Otherwise, they'd give you the green book that you could read from. So you'd know what to say, but I never knew what page we were on. And uh, so it was, all, it was all very mystical. <laughs> but I actually loved going on Christmas because of the carols. I loved the carols. And clearly my heart really didn't understand what the carols were about. But I loved the carols. It was like something sort of got my attention and started pulling me in. And I'd be like, you know, they'd get under, under my skin. I ended up... Uh, Starting to sing in the choir at my mom's church in Toronto because um, I liked singing. And I knew if you were part of the choir, then you got to do the carol service. So, <laughs> motivated by carols, folks. That's what I'm saying, okay? And uh, so I, I, would, I would get excited about singing in the choir because of the carol service. And one of my favorite songs, which I think we sang last year. We sing it every once in a while was um, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Do you know that one? And I think, uh, this isn't a great word, and I probably need to come up with a better one, but I think part of why I love that song is it kind of of got under my skin. It kind of haunted me, if that makes sense. I knew there was something in it, and I knew there was something in it I didn't get. Um, I'll just read you the first verse of it. It's quite a long song, so I I won't read you the whole one because... You guys probably want to have lunch at some point. It says, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel, that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appears. Rejoice. Rejoice. Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. And I think looking back, I knew I could relate to the words because in my life I felt trapped And I felt scared and I felt lonely and I felt forgotten. And I thought if there's somebody coming to rescue, maybe he would rescue me too. Again, I don't know what your reality is, but my reality was a pretty scary one. And I didn't realize that this holiday that we celebrate about a king who comes to set us free was so much more than just some carols. And so I thought, just in case there's somebody here who didn't know either, we just talk about it a little bit. The word Emmanuel, it means God with us. Imagine that God came down because he did to be with us so that we would know we are never alone. Isn't that amazing? We don't have to live like we're alone because we're not. He came to show us how to live from joy and from hope. And he came to provide a way home. And he came for us to have a life abundant. Most of us are super familiar with this verse. John 3, verse 16. Watch a football game. You'll see it. Right? Isn't that pretty much right? Right. Right. Uh, <laughs> For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. I kind of got the back part of that. I, I sort of thought, though, the whole Jesus thing is just about eternal life. But I missed the front part where it's actually all about love. Right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. You could actually say it like this, for Father God so unconditionally loved, because that word love there is agape, so unconditionally loved the world that he gave his only son. It's not about your performance. It's about the bigness of who he is and the bigness of his love towards you. I mean, I really had no idea. I kind of (laughs) thought, well, maybe you thought this too. I kind of thought Christianity was all just about a list of things we did and didn't do. You know, like, you know, if you're a good Christian, you do these things and you don't do these things. And, you know, and if you don't do a great job, you'll be judged. Merry Christmas. (laughs) Anybody else with me? Like you kind of thought that was it at some point? Yeah. See, I should have read the next verse. For God did not send the son into the world to judge the world but that the world might be saved through him. What? Well, then he's not at all who I thought he was. Or maybe I just never really knew who he was in the first place. I, uh, I remember the first time that I realized that I didn't know who he was. I was 15 and uh, I had gone with my cousin to a Baptist retreat. And my poor sweet cousin, she had been trying to tell me about the Lord, trying to tell me about Jesus since she was like knee-high to a grasshopper. Like just really tiny. And uh, she, she and I shared a room at, a, at the cottage, at my grandparents' cottage. And that poor little thing, she would come in on Fridays ready to tell me about Jesus. And I literally, literally would beat her up for talking to me about Jesus because my world looks so radically different from anything that I could understand you know in the paradigm of a loving father does that make sense and so she would come in and she'd tell me about Jesus and I'd be like whatever you know I mean I did horrible things to her I cut her hair (laughs) I literally would grab her by the hair and smack her head into the wall when she'd try and tell me about Jesus I was aggressive But this one particular day, I'm 15 years old, I decide to go to this retreat for not good reasons. And I go with her to this Baptist retreat. And this guy stands up. He's a youth speaker, so he's like larger than life. You know what these youth speakers are like. (laughs) he 's larger than life and he 's super expressive and he 's talking and he 's like, "Hey, what am I? I have four legs, and I uh, stay in families, and I have a soft back, and he 's describing all these things i 'm like dude you 're a dog like we 're youth we 're not kids, you know like move on kind of thing and and at that moment, he puts up this overhead of a chair. Now, I'll stop for a moment. For those of you under the age of 40, an overhead was this little piece of plastic that we used to use. And we'd draw things on it and then project it up onto the wall. You're welcome for keynote. Okay, so, so he puts up this overhead of a chair. And I'm like, wait, what? You're a, you're, a, you're a chair? And his point was, you can know everything about something and still miss What it is. And then he went on to talk about the love of God. And I remember sitting there and thinking. Wait. If what you're saying is true. Then somebody loves me. I didn't know that. I lived in a scary world where I was getting abused at home. Where there were favorites in my family, and I didn't have one parent that I could go to that liked me more. And all of a sudden, my world just changes. Wait, I'm loved. How did I miss that for 15 years? I think, think I kind of even missed it after I got saved because I let it become about how well I could perform. Rather than who he was to me. You know I just started wearing dresses. Only on Sundays. I uh, tried not to swear at church. It's a big one. (laughs) Tried to do the right things and look the part. And perform my way into earning a love that was a free gift. And then I ended up going to this church and every single Sunday I would go and they would talk about the father heart of God. They would talk about this wonderful father that loves you. And I was like, no, Jesus loves me. I get that. I know that now. I got that one. And he'd be like, you know, no, the father, I want to tell you about the father. And my experience with the father was so scary, so terrifying that that word placed on God made God unapproachable. Does that make sense? And we all do that in ways, whether it's, you know, our parents or whether it's authority figures or whatever. If we've had negative experiences with an authority figure, we don't do it on purpose. But we kind of place that over God and we say, authority figures, I know know how that works. I know how to relate to them. And we have that filter. Does that make sense? And I end up in this church where they're talking about the father heart of God. And I have no grid for being loved like that. I don't know, maybe you can relate to me. See, I think I was just living my life like I'm saved now. I have fire insurance, you know? I'm not going to hell anymore. And so you just survive life and hope for the best until you finally get to die and then go to heaven. High hopes, right? Yay! Cheery Christmas message. So much more than that. He actually sent his son. To make a way home, yes. But so that we could live loved now. Did you know that God actually is love? It says that somewhere. First John 4, actually. God is love. I mean, I just didn't know. <laughs> Do you know if you were to look through the Old Testament and count up all the times where the word Father is used in reference to God, you'd see it only 15 times. If you were to do the exact same exercise with the New Testament, you would see it 245 times. Why did Jesus come? To reveal the Father. In Jesus' final conversation with the disciples before he goes to the cross, in three chapters, he talks about the Father 50 times. What does he want them to know? Who the father is. Why? Because we need to know. We need to know how loved we are. We need to know how good he is, how consistent he is, how faithful he is, how wonderful he is. One of our best examples of this father heart of God message actually we find in Luke chapter 15 in the story of the prodigal son. So would you turn there with me? If you have your Bibles with you, Luke 15, we're starting at verse 11. Oh, before you look, though. <laughs> Watching you. How many sons are there in the prodigal son story? <laughs> Where are my cheaters at? Three! <laughs> There's three sons in the prodigal son story. Now, don't be alarmed. I'm not, not, I'm not reading from the NIV. It's, here's the deal. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm an NASB girl, I can't help myself. Um, there's the younger son, there's the older son, and then there's the son that's telling the story. If you have a red letter Bible, this story's in red. This is Jesus saying, this is what my father's like. It's important that you know. Is Jesus gonna lie to you about what he's like? All right, let's look at it then. Okay, so starting at verse 11, it says, and he said, that's Jesus, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. And so he divided his wealth between them. Now I want to stop there for a second. That sounds fine when you read it in scripture, you know. Give me the share of the estate that falls to me. Okay, lovely. (laughs) Right? Listen, this is super offensive. He's basically saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. I want my money. Okay? So think of it that way, because it's offensive. And then it says, and not, wait, wait, did I say that part? That is wealth between them. Yep. Which I also think is amazing that he actually did it. Like sometimes the Lord does something that we ask for. Because you asked for it, not necessarily because it's your best thing ever. I'll leave you with that. You're welcome. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey to a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. So that's another big slap in the face, to leave the country of your father's birth. Okay? So, Dad, I wish you were dead. I want my money. Slap. And then he goes to a different country. Slap. Are you with me so far? Okay. Things are about to go not that well for him. Verse 14. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be impoverished. And so he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods at the swine reading, but no one was giving anything to him. Let's stop there. Now, consider Jesus' audience, right? We have a bunch of Jewish people that he's speaking to. For a young Jewish lad to be feeding and hanging out with and taking care of pigs, good job, bad job. Bad job, job, right? Like, very bad job, okay? Okay. In addition to that, he's looking at what the pigs eat, and he is thinking, "Yummy, right? How many of you have actually seen what pigs eat? Wow, less in this service than the first. I guess we have more farmers at the first service. I don't know. Just kidding. Listen, it kind of looks like mud with chunks in it. It's like, do I need a fork or a spoon? A fork or a spoon? I don't know. It's gross." And in addition to that, I don't know if you're aware of this, but pigs smell awful. Did you know that? I, I remember the day I discovered that. We were uh, in Australia. We were um, actually on the like inside of Australia, kind of nearing the, where the desert part is. It was hot. It was summer. And the host that had picked us up that was driving us to this conference, uh, his air conditioning had stopped working, so we had the windows down. Yeah, it was awesome. And uh, we were driving, and this incredibly horrible smell, like this hideous smell, was coming in the windows. And we were like, wow, I hope I'm not staying right next to whatever that is, you know? And so we were like trying to be casual. So that uh, smell, like we're considering do we put the windows up and die and cook like chickens in the car, or do we do the smell? Because these are our two really horrible options, right? And uh, anyway, the guy says, oh, yeah, that's so-and-so's pig farm. And we're, like, looking around because I don't see a farm anywhere. And he said, oh, it's about five miles that way. And I was like, please tell me we're going another ten miles this way at least. It was awful. Okay, you with me? It's bad. You're like, we got there already, AJ. We were at bad. Uh-huh. All right. Pause time. Okay, verse 17. Oh, it's One of my favorite parts. Are you ready? It says, but when he came to his senses, we've all done that at some point, right? If we've given our lives to the Lord or given our lives back to the Lord, we've come to our senses at some point and realized, wow, this isn't the best thing ever that I'm living right now, but it's on offer. But when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread? But I am dying here with hunger. I want to stop and do a sidebar for just a moment. Having more than enough doesn't necessarily identify you as a son. Even his hired men have more than enough. Sonship is something even more than that. Verse 18 I will get up and I will go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. Now, I have a question for you. What's he doing right here? Is, is he actually talking to his dad yet? No. He's practicing, isn't he? How many of you, come on, where are you at, have messed up so badly that you practiced your apology speech beforehand? Right? Where are my married people at? <laughs> okay, how many of you used a mirror? I have to know. Oh, I did. I was like, you got to make sure. You got to get the face, the whole, thing, you know. So he's practicing. He's like, I got my speech together. I love it. Even in his speech, you realize he doesn't know the father. Because he thinks he's going to be able to go back and be hired instead of a son. Poor sweet thing. Okay, verse 20. So he got up. He took that first step and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Guys, for the father to see him while he's still a long way off, he must have been looking. He must have been waiting and hoping for the moment when the son would return. He wasn't inside on the internet or reading the paper, but he was out there watching the horizon for the moment of hope. I'm going to do a very brave thing on a Sunday morning. Are you ready? I'm going to ask you all to close your eyes. I want you to picture this. I want you to picture what we're talking about. Jesus is painting a very specific picture. He says, the father sees his son and he runs. Now, in those days, dignified men did not run, possibly because they were wearing dresses. But they didn't run. Jesus knows who he's, who he's speaking to, and he tells them the Father's response to seeing the Son's return is to run. So I want you to see the sun coming over the horizon. I kind of imagine him like a pig pen from Peanuts. I don't know if people have, even know who that is anymore, but, you know, just sort of a swirl of filth and smell. He's walked from one Middle Eastern country to another. He's not wearing deodorant. He's probably dehydrated. Maybe he's just hoping to get home and die there. We don't know, but it's bad, okay? So he walks up and he walks over the horizon and the father sees him and starts to run. Now, I want you to see them running. They're getting closer, closer, closer together. Pause them about a foot apart. Have you got them paused? Do you think from this distance... The father could smell the son, right? Almost definitely. He could certainly see him. He could see the filth, right? Unpause them. It says that he embraces him. The literal translation says he fell on his neck. He embraces him and he kisses him. Kissing as a sign of covenant. Let's pick it back up in the story. Oh, open your eyes before you fall asleep. You all did very well. Check your neighbor. Make sure their eyes are open. If they're not, nudge them nicely or offer them coffee. Okay. Where did we get here? Dun, dun, dun. Embraced him and kissed him. Okay. Verse 21. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Verse 22. But the father said to his slaves, did he, did the son even get to finish his speech? He didn't, did he? It was like, I kind of picture the father going, oh, you're adorable. You don't get it at all. We know that because he could leave. Right? So here he is. The father actually turns to his slaves and he says, quick bring that contract out here for my son to sign that has the repayment plan for all the money that he took and like how he's going to earn his way back into the family household. You know, he could, he could sleep with the sheep for a while and once he proves some things and, you know, really performs well, we'll move him into the... No, not in my version either. If you're like skipping ahead, like, wow, where'd she get that from? Even the message doesn't say that. no. Because it, it didn't happen. But, but how come we live like that? We, we make a mistake or we have to ask the Lord for help. And we're like, well, I should probably repay you somehow for this incredible gift. You can't. You can't pay him back. And you can't earn it. That's what makes it free. So the father says to his slaves, quickly, that means fast. Bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found and they began to celebrate. So here's, here's the son, he's got the speech, right? And the father's like, Oh, you're so cute. Hang on a second. Let me make something really clear to you. It says, he says, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Who do you think the best robe probably belonged to? Probably the father, right? And he brings a robe and he covers his shame. The son now, as he's returning back to the house, the state that he arrived in is not the state that anybody else will see him in because the father covers it. And then he says, put a ring on his hand. Now, I like jewelry. Rings are cool. This is bigger than that, though. With the father's ring, you could actually go into the neighboring towns and say, I'll have one of those, one of those, one of those. And this is who my dad is. And it all gets charged back to dad. This is a spectacular thing for a kid who's messed up spectacularly with finances. And he doesn't even make him do Dave Ramsey first. Right? He's just like, okay, here you go, son. Here's the family visa card. Try again. Do we think God does that with us? We're like, no, I got to take care of this. myself. I did it myself. Hmm. And then he says, put sandals on his feet. Really specific message. Slaves went barefoot. Sons wore sandals. He said, you're my son. Here's a robe. You're my son. Here's a ring. You're my son. Here's some shoes and he's still messy and he still smells like pigs. But the story goes on. Verse 23, it says, now his older son was in the field and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing and he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. So they didn't often have parties because he's inquiring what is going on. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. I love even that you see the father's heart, right? So the older son is all like, hey, this is not okay. Right? We're about to hear his rant in just a second, aren't we? He's like, this is not okay. I'm not celebrating this. And instead of the father saying, hey, you get your act together. And when you get to, you come inside and we can have a talk. The father's like, oh, I understand your religious heart. I'll come out to you. I'll meet you where you're at. Because I'm happy to meet you where you're at. It's what I do. Verse 29. But he answered and he said to his father, look. For so many years, I have been serving you and I have never neglected a command of yours. And yet you have never given me a young goat. I've never received a young goat either, I have to say. (laughs) To clarify, I would not prefer to have one. Please don't buy me a young goat. You just never know with this church, right? It could come the next week and it's like, man, no, I was joking. Um, Uh, Giving me a young goat so that I may celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes. We don't know that, by the way. And you killed the fatted calf for him. Can you kind of feel like the amount of anxiety in this particular scenario? Right? Hey, for so many years I've been serving you. And I've never neglected a command. I get it. You know, what I think is kind of sad. I think sometimes the prodigals come through the door and they're met at the door by the older brother. Instead of met by the father. Hmm. Verse 31. And he said to him, son, you have always been with me and all that is mine is yours. Take a goat. But we had to celebrate and rejoice for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live. He was lost and has been found. The father's heart is always to celebrate us coming into a revelation of how loved we are. And here's the thing in this story. There's really two lost sons because there's the one that can run away. And then there's the one that lives like a slave instead of like a son in his own father's house. They both don't get it. They're both living in less than when God wants for them more than. 1 John 3, verse 1 says, See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God, and such we are. Some translations say, See how extravagant a love the Father has bestowed upon us. I mean, it's kind of mind blowing. It's okay if we can't really wrap our heads around it because I think we spend eternity trying. (laughs) But I'm going to try. You and I, we are loved. It's everywhere and I missed it. I think the verse that encourages me the most is this one. 1 John 4 verse 16, it says, We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. That word love there, that's agape again. It's unconditional love. And it says, you and I, we're in a process. We've come to know and have believed, right? So God's moving all this head knowledge. If you grew up in the South, you've got enough of it now. And he's moving it down to heart knowledge where we start to live like it's true. That's how you know it made it to your heart. You live like it's true. You live from being loved, right? It's not about striving anymore. It's not about performance anymore. I just know I'm loved, And I get to go and I get to live in love and then give love away because that's my reality. And you see that in the rest of the verse. God is love and the one who abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. So here's my thought. I thought it might be really lovely on Christmas. To not only finish early, because it's Christmas, you're welcome. <laughs> but to maybe have a homecoming. And then maybe all of us, you don't have to. It's up to your heart. But maybe, maybe we could actually give ourselves back as a gift again today to the one who gave the biggest gift. What do you think? Would you stand with me, please? Please. What I would love you to do is if you would just bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. And I'm going to ask this question. If you're in the room, you don't have to worry about anybody looking because they all have their heads bowed and their eyes closed. If you're in need of a homecoming today, either you know you've been living far from the father or maybe you're like the prodigal son and you ran away and you need to come home. I'm asking if you would just put your hand up. I'm not going to shame you. I'm not going to point you out. I just want to know who we're talking to today. Thank you. Thank you. So good. Thank you. Father, I thank you for all these hands. And Lord, I ask that this Christmas would be the most wonderful Christmas ever. Father, that they would feel your presence so strongly. Or that they would know that you are not alone because you are Emmanuel. Emmanuel. God with us, Lord. That that would be so real to them, and Lord, for all of us, we thank you. We thank you for what you've done, and I'm just going to lead you through just a really brief prayer, uh, salvation prayer. And I would invite you, whether you stuck your hand up or not, uh, to pray this as a prayer of remembrance, or you can pray it for the first time today. Are you ready, Father God? I thank you for sending Jesus that he would come and die in my place so that I may be forgiven. Jesus, today, I thank you for your sacrifice. I thank you that you've covered all of my sins. And I give you my life again today. I ask you to be Savior. I ask you to be Lord. And I ask you to be king. Come and be so present in me. Transform me from the inside out. I'm your Christmas gift. In Jesus name. Amen. And I was going to pray for you. Father, I thank you for every family represented here. Lord, I ask that as we go into this week and we celebrate you and we lift you high, that you would be so present in every single gathering. And Lord, I ask for every family member represented by this group that doesn't know you yet, Lord, that this would be the year Father, that you would woo their hearts and you'd let the carols get under their skin and you would just make it so uncomfortable in the most wonderful way until they must have you. And Lord, I ask that you give us all the right words for those that are around us. Yeah. God, we love you. Thank you for all that you've done in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.